We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A dot com. Thanks for listening. I want to promise you that there is a Savior who's going to bring peace. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've popped in on this feed. But God has a message for you this morning that there is peace coming. There is peace and there is a promise of peace that will never fade. That will never pass away. It's a peace that lasts for all eternity. So if you would take a moment wherever you are in this place and you just close your eyes and center yourself. Find yourself centered in the Holy Spirit. Let him hover over you as he hovered over the waters at the very beginning over the void and the darkness he hovers over us now and we say come holy spirit would you come would you help us to discover and uncover who you are today god would you unearth the darkness with us and would you create in us something beautiful and new would you take all of our ashes and would you bring beauty out of it Father, would you help us to rise out of the darkness and be recreated so that you can renew the face of the earth. It is by your Holy Spirit that we ask this and through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ that we can even come to make these requests known to you. Father, we're so grateful for your grace and for your mercy. And we're so grateful for your peace. We thank you for all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat this morning. Uh, I just want to welcome you in, whether you're online or in person, welcome. We're so grateful that you're here at Hope Church. My name is Emma Adams, and I am the lead pastor here at Hope Church. If this is uh, your first time checking us out, man, I am so stoked that you're here. We are so excited that you would pick Advent and the Christmas season to join us. It's going to be an amazing Sunday. I don't know if you like his work or not, but I really like the work of M. Night Shyamalan. Not sure if I'm saying it right. Don't, don't sue me, okay? But I love his movies. And one of his movies from 2004 was called The Village. Anybody seen The Village? I know this is like an obscure movie reference. Thank God, I'm not alone. All right, The Village. In The Village, you're set into what seems like an 1800s village. And the community is quaint, and they have strict moral standards, and all is at peace, and all is well, until it isn't. You see, during this movie, each and every single one of the characters, as the story and plotline unfolds, reveal that it is not actually a village in the 1800s. Rather, it's a social experiment in the middle of modern society where each of the founding members of the village have decided that they are so distressed by the ills of the world that they are going to create a perfect community. One that doesn't have any violence. All of them had experienced violence of some sort. And they decided they were going to create a perfect village where this wasn't going to happen anymore. They even told lies to keep the children and the people of the village inside the village. There's things in the woods, they said. Don't go out, they said. 
until finally a young man becomes jealous of another young man and the peace that they thought so hard to push out with their borders and their lies came from within. And a kid's life stands in the balance because one child disturbed the peace and brought violence against another. You see, peace can't be found even when we shut out all the borders and we put in all of the regulations that we can. Because the problem is that we don't have peace within ourselves. It comes from within. And the problem with the village wasn't the outsiders, but it was what was on the inside that the problem happened. You see, peace cannot be achieved in and of ourselves, no matter what borders we place around our lives. The enemy lies within. We have to look elsewhere for peace that our souls desire. So today, as we continue our Advent journey here at Hope Church, we continue through the covenants of the Old Testament and the stories of the Scripture as we anticipate the arrival of Jesus. And this week, we step into the story of Abraham and Sarah, an unlikely pair to receive this promise of peace. And so today, we light the peace candle. That is the second candle in our Advent wreath. And we know that we can never grasp the meaning of Jesus' arrival without knowing the story of Abraham and Sarah first. We got to kind of unpack the Old Testament before we step into the New Testament. So the first thing we have is we have a yearning for peace. We have the historical truth of Abraham and Sarah's story, which begins to bring us words. When we think about Abraham and Sarah, we think about faith. Hebrews tells us that Abraham was a great man of faith. We think about perseverance. We also think about failure, and we'll get to some of those failures in this story. We think about pain. And peace isn't often the first word we think of when we think about Abraham and Sarah. It's kind of a weird flex, right? Weird flex. Okay, Pastor Emma, what the heck are you talking about? Peace, Abraham and Sarah? I don't know. Don't worry. I'm going to get you there, okay? Together. Together we will move forward. Their story doesn't start peacefully. It starts with them being told to migrate away from their family and everything they know. And Abraham is told just this instruction, go to the place I will show you. Look, y'all, God doesn't give the man a map, okay? He says, go, and I'll show you. You're not getting a map. You're not getting a long, drawn-out plan. You just got to go. I don't know about you, but it's crazy when God tells you to just go. Can I, can I just testify for a minute? I was real comfy at my last church, okay? Real cozy. I had nice salary, benefits, and God said, go. And I said, wait, hold up. Where am I going? And he said, I said, go. And I said, no, like, can you, like, I need an agenda and a plan. And could you, like, put an X on the map? Because I'm not sure where you're going. He said, I, no, you're going to go. I said, okay, I'm going to go. So I went. Abraham went. And listen, at the outset of his faith adventure, he didn't get instructions. And it wouldn't get any easier from there because Abraham would grow. And he took his nephew Lot with him. And Lot would grow 
to the point where they would need to separate because they outgrew each other. So they would separate, and Lot would, of course, choose what appeared to be a better land. But in the center of that better land was the opposite of M. Night Shyamalan's village. It was called Sodom and Gomorrah. Way different than the village. Different kind of village. Not a great village. We know how that turned out. It was not a good, good thing, right? We know that that was not good. And Abraham had to end up running in and rescuing Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. And from God's judgment. Holy crap. It's crazy, right? Crazy. And like, like many modern couples, Sarah and Abraham would walk the long and lonely road of infertility. And this is a pain that is next to indescribable, except to those who experience it. And yet this story at the core of Scripture shows that God sees and hears those who bear that pain. Because God sees Abraham, and God sees Sarah, and he has a redemptive plan to bring peace and redeem the world, and he starts by answering the longing of one elderly couple. And this is what he promises them. In Genesis 15, 1 through 6, we can read this together. It's going to be on the screen behind you, and we are coming out of the NIV version. This is after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And that's important. Hang on to that. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will become my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Believe the Lord. You see, faith for the peace that Abraham sought for himself and for his descendants would be a faith that would have to persevere through time because sometimes what God promises cannot be rushed. I don't like that part. I wanted God to tell us where we were going and how we were going to get there. And I wanted it all right then as I'm exiting my last church. But God's plan cannot be rushed. And with Abraham waiting, waiting is one of the hardest things that we must do when people are saddled with a longing for a promise. I don't know if you've ever made a promise to one of your kids and regretted it immediately. I promise we will go to McDonald's. How many times will you hear for the next 17 days about the promise? You said we were going. I want to go. When are we going? Can we go now? You promised, right? We are going to do this, right? Mad regrets. 
I don't tell our kids we're going to do anything until we are walking into the thing we're doing. Why? Because I don't want to hear it. I'm pretty sure God felt the same way with Abraham and Sarah. Because Abraham and Sarah were not ready to wait for a promise. As a matter of fact, in the waiting, they would take matters into their own hands. And Sarah would convince Abraham that he should expedite the promise with her servant Hagar. Back in the day, they could do that. I don't know what girlfriend was thinking. I'm not trying to hand my husband anything else, let alone my servant girl. Here, take Hagar and make a baby with her because I'm out. This promise is not happening. I'm old and I'm sick of you anyway. Right? That's not in the Bible, okay? Sarah did not say that. That is ad lib, okay? And the result is Abraham does have a son and his name is Ishmael. And Sarah would birth something else, and that would be a hatred for Hagar and Ishmael because she couldn't wait for the promise. And in all this pain and in all this misery, Hagar and Ishmael are not rejected by God, even though they are rejected by Sarah and Abraham. And God blesses Ishmael, and God protects Hagar in her pain because God sees all, and he has mercy on all. And even in her unbelief and sin against Hagar, God refuses to forget Sarah, reminding her that the promise was not just for Abraham, but it was for her as well. He said, I didn't forget you, Sarah. Can I just make a promise to those of you who like to rush and mess things up? That even when you rush and you mess things up, God is not done with you. He has a plan and a promise, and a purpose. Even when you rush and screw it all up, he's got your back. Because he is the promise. We'll get to that more in a minute. And he gives her the long-awaited promise, and it's a son, and his name is Isaac. And Isaac wouldn't bring peace either, though. Dag nabbit. <sighs> I wish I could tell you that it all ended happily there, but in fact... He would experience unrest from his elder brother, nursed along, I'm sure, by Sarah's bad attitude and Hagar's uh, rivalry. Ishmael and Isaac would fight and division would come, not peace. And it would be a part of Abraham's family for generations through Isaac's twin sons, Jacob and Esau, who would fight and betray one another, down to Jacob's son, Joseph, who would be thrown into a pit by his own brothers. Anybody have a sibling that you want to put in a pit? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> right? And division would mark every generation all the way through the division of Israel into two rival nations of Israel and Judah. It would split a nation one day. And once again, in the thick of it all, is the fact that mankind cannot seem to be at peace because our war bubbles up from within. We cannot create a perfect village because we ourselves are not at perfect peace. And so in the Old Testament, we have the promise. The promise of peace. And the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament Greek, it is the word Irene. And the most basic meaning of shalom is complete. 
or whole. The word can actually refer to a stone that is placed, that has been placed into a hole and it fills every hole and it becomes part of a bigger hole like a stone wall where you place that final stone in and it is now finished. It is a complete wall. So shalom refers to something that is complex but has been completed. Shalom is a piece that is in a state of wholeness and completeness. It is lacking nothing. It's like, it's like in Job when he says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and there are no animals missing. I have shalom because nothing is missing. Right? All of his children are in the home. All of his animals accounted for. There is shalom. And this is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers in the battlefield and he asks, how is your shalom? And they said, our shalom is good because we're all here. All the brothers were accounted for. There was shalom. And the core idea here is that life is complex. And it's full of all these many moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these are out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Your peace falls apart and life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. And in fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it in a verb. To bring shalom is literally to bring completeness or to restore as complete before. So Solomon brings shalom to an unfinished temple when he completes it. There is shalom. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them something to complete what they had lost, a repayment. You take what's missing and you restore it completely. And the same thing goes for human relationships. And so in the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship, we have the bringing of shalom, peace. And when a rival kingdom makes shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It actually means they start working together for the betterment of both, for the completeness of the whole. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you get the picture of peace? Do you get the picture of this biblical representation of shalom? It is not, it is not just, uh, just uh, an end to division, but a betterment of the whole. So we see the division, though, in the children of Abraham and Sarah, and in the thick of all this pain and longing is a promise that peace will one day come. And as he does throughout the grand story, God once again chooses a representative and he enters into a covenant with Abraham promising to give him son whose offspring will bless the entire world. It says, he says to Abraham, you, because of you, the entire world will be blessed because of you. And in truth, and in earnest, the, is, the nation of Israel has deeply blessed our world. Much of our modern medicine has come from our good, good, good friends, the Jews. So much innovation, so much goodness have come from our friends, the Jews. But there is something better 
that they bring us. There is some shalom that we cannot achieve on our own. And as Abraham stands beneath the sea of constellations overhead, and God says, Abraham, consider the stars. Consider the stars. God's redemption and his plan is already moving towards the one star of Bethlehem. Already set in motion is the star of Bethlehem. So as Abraham considers all the stars and he sees the many offspring that would come, the star of Bethlehem is born. And through a line of broken people and broken relationships, a prince of peace will one day come. And the betrayed and the forgotten and the rejected and the prodigals will be brought into a reconciled relationship with God and each other through the reign of the Prince of Peace. And so at Advent, we remember the waiting and the longing of Abraham and Sarah, and we look around at our own broken stories. We look around at our own broken lives, and we recognize that our shalom has been torn apart by our own hands And if you didn't know before this moment, you are probably your own worst enemy in your peace. If you haven't figured that out, here's the revelation of the day. It was you because it was me. But then we have this scandal, the scandal of God, the scandal of peace. And the covenant moment doesn't only come with a promise of peace in the future, but a picture of how it will be achieved. And in the ancient um, Near East, there was um, covenants made all the time. And these rituals were very, very important. It wasn't a contract. There weren't lawyers, okay? But there were real rites and rituals. And so we get in Genesis 15, 9 through 21, we get a picture of what these covenant rituals look like. And so in Genesis 15, 9 through 21, this is what happens. So the Lord said to him, Abraham, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these and cut them in two, this is gruesome, I know, and arranged them in halves opposite each other, the birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of the prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward... They will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. 
So at first glance, this looks like another Old Testament ritual of sacrifice, but it's interesting because when you study the historical context, we get this dramatic scene that mirrors, mirrors like a typical scene from the ancient Near East. Other, other groups of people had these same covenant rituals when two men would come into agreement about land or property or whatever. They would have these same rituals where they would sacrifice animals, cut them in half, lay them on two parts, and then the interesting thing would happen is that the lesser party, the party who had less wealth to kind of bank in the deal, would then walk between the broken pieces, the slain animals, and recite the terms of the covenant as they walked. The lesser would, because they didn't have much to promise. So they would be forced to walk through the slain animals as if to say, okay, I promise that I'm going to keep this covenant between us two, lest I become like these. Very graphic, right? But here's the interesting thing about the covenant that God made with Abraham. If you'll notice, it says that God himself walked through the two pieces when it should have been Abraham. It should have been Abraham because he had the less out of the deal. He didn't have land. He didn't have a lot to give. He should have been the one walking through and saying, hey, I, I, I make this promise, but it was not Abraham it was God. The ancient readers of this passage would have recognized that the familiar elements and immediate draw the conclusion that God was entering into this covenant with Abraham and they would have been totally shocked and scandalized by the fact that it was God who ratified the covenant. It was God, the blazing torch and fire pot that passed between the animals, repeating the scope of the covenant promise. And it should have been Abraham, but it's God. You see, it's always been God who takes upon himself the covenant that would bring us peace. And this is the scandal of peace. In choosing Abraham and his, as his representative, entering into the covenant for the sake of all humanity and promising uh, to bring peace through his offspring, God puts his whole life on the line. Do you see the foreshadowing? God says, I will do it. I will be the sacrifice. I will be the one, and for the sake of all humanity, I will be the one who brings peace. Knowing that Abraham, like every other human, would fail, God knew that he would have to be the one who would faithfully execute and ratify the covenant once and for all. And so, yes, there is a promise of peace. And so we see years and years and years and generations and generations and all that God promised came true. The Israelites are enslaved by the Egyptians and they pass through all the trials and the nation of Israel does rise and then it falls. And yet the covenant and the promise of God is born and the star of Bethlehem rises and that is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament is announced this way. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, Jesus' arrival is announced as the arrival of Irene. Shalom. Completeness has come. 
Remember, remember that Jesus came to offer his peace to others. Like when he said this to his followers, he said, my peace I give you. My shalom I give you. My peace and I give it to you all. And the apostles claim that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. And the idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. And this is why the apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our peace. This is why I can say, Jesus is my peace. This is why I can declare to you that Jesus is your peace. Because we all, like Abraham and Sarah, have sinned. And we've all chosen our own way at one point or another. We all put our hands on it and messed it all up. Jesus is the whole and complete human that I needed. And I have failed, but he has not. And he never will because God never will fail. And now he gives me his life as a gift, and he gives you his life as a gift. That's the peace that you have in Christ. That's why we declare this every Sunday. That's why Hope Church exists. That's why we get up here and sing and declare his praises, because this peace is a shalom that lasts forever. This is the final stamp in the covenant of Abraham and Sarah, this is the final action. And this is why we are instructed now as followers of the way, of followers of Jesus, to be peacemakers. This is why Paul writes us in Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And this requires humility and patience and bearing with one another in love. You see, becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus Christ. And you can't participate in the life of Jesus Christ without giving him yours first. And he needs all of it, not just some of it. Not just your cleaned up parts and your good parts and the crap you thought you already had together. No, he needs all of your life. Every moment. And peace takes work because it's not just the absence of conflict. You see, true peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. It takes effort. It takes energy. Whether it's in our lives or in our relationships or in our world, this is the rich biblical concept of peace. And so I want you to go back to the start with me. Remember how God started with Abram. Remember what God said to Abram all the way at the back at the beginning of this thing. He said, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your shield, your very great reward. You see, God is your shield and your shelter and your very great reward. And I, I want to point out that different than any other claims, Different than any other uh, religion will promise you ain't no 30 virgins waiting for you in heaven, okay? There's no Zen nirvana promise. 
You see, there's no money or wealth or satisfaction that can be a promise of my great religious leader, okay? No, my, my biggest claim, God's biggest claim, is he says, I am your shield. I am your very great rewards. You see, paradise isn't a place. It's a person. Paradise isn't a place. It's a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can give you the perfect peace that you need now and forever. He is the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, Emmanuel, God with us. He is your everlasting Father. He is your very great world. You don't need a place. You need a person. You need Jesus. So this is my challenge for those of you who are in Christ, for those of you who are considered followers of Jesus Christ, this is my challenge for you this week. Is there anybody in your life that you need to make peace with? This isn't easy. Is there anybody in your past or your present with whom you feel at odds? When you think of them, you go, you make this face? Oh, great. Yeah, no. That's the person you need to make peace with. And if it's beyond a safe thing for you to do that, there's still a way to make peace with somebody. You can make it with your heart and within yourself. And just as God sought to be your peace, you need to seek to live at peace with all people. There are some of you who are are here and who are online who have never made peace with God through Jesus. Some of you need to make peace with God through Jesus Christ. You haven't done that. And I'm telling you, do it now. And I want to give you the opportunity to pray with me. If that's you and whether you're in the house or online and you're ready to make peace with God, today is the day. And all you have to do is pray something like this. And everybody in house is going to pray uh, so everybody doesn't feel awkward. But you're going to pray something like, Jesus, I didn't know that I needed you, but now I understand. Jesus, you are my peace. I believe and I receive that truth today. You died for my sins, and I thank you for that. You made it right with God I want to start a relationship with you today. And I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to me so that we can begin our relationship. Help me to hear your voice, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer for the first time today, or if you're saying it again, I want to invite you to connect with us a confidential text message and you'll get a text message from myself personally and I'm just going to enter into a dialogue with you and and I'm going to invite you into a Bible reading plan with me. It's all private. All you have to do is scan this QR code on the screen or you can text that's me to 94,000. No punctuation, okay? None. That's me to 94,000. And I'll connect with you and I'll share a reading plan with you that you can do privately on your phone on an app that's free to download. It's that simple. 
And this way we can help you walk into your next steps with God so that you can cultivate and develop your relationship with God on your terms. Knowing that he paid all of it so that you could do that. I want to thank you so much for making everything happen here at Hope Church. I want to thank you for, for stepping into the building, for jumping in online. It's so good to be with you at Christmas. I want to pray over us all before we get out of here. Father, thank you so much for the peace of your Holy Spirit, for the peace that you bought through your blood, Jesus, on the cross, for my sins, for my sake. I thank you for the peace that you brought Abraham and Sarah through Isaac and every promise that you made to your people. Thank you, God, that you love us and you care for us so much that you keep bringing your peace over and over and over again. We ask that you would, as we move from this place, help us to be a people of peace, to make peace with those around us, to forgive just as you have forgiven us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.